0: Welcome to Lab Life with the Air Force Research Laboratory.
1: Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Kenneth. Hello, folks. Today we are joined by Colonel Janelle Jackson to discuss AFOSR's worldwide operations, Star Trek, and the engineers, actors, and family members that inspired her from a young age.
2: In three, two,
1: one... Colonel Jackson, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. So to give some context to our listeners, uh, by day, you're the deputy director of the Air Force Office of Scientific Research, or AFOSR, as many people call it. But by mm-hmm. night, we had a discussion. It sounds like you're a Trekkie <laughs> like myself. So I've got to know, when it comes to Star Trek, um, it's kind of helped kick you off a lot of your sci- love for sci-fi, love for space, and all that goodness. Uh, what about Star Trek you think is so accessible to people that may not consider themselves standard sci-fi geeks?
0: Oh, wow. I think there's so many lessons to learn, but probably the biggest, just the visual of the characters and the people. You see all all walks of life, right? You see um, people with all sorts of gifts and talents, but they're all coming together for this common purpose, this common good. And then you add the space or the future aspect of it, right? And so it's not just a reflection of where we are now, but where we can be. And so I love the diversity of the people, the characters, their stories, their backgrounds, and then really their talents, right? And the things that they they bring to the enterprise is just phenomenal. So yeah, I'm excited about Star Trek.
1: <laughs> Same, I love that quote, that not just where we are, but where we can be. I think that's such an important part of Gene Roddenberry's mission of showing that, hey, mm-hmm. while well, the present may seem difficult, there's so much beauty here and in the future, we can figure this out. We can have a wonderful space, like you said, where we work together. I mean, clear example, war for Klingon joins them in the next generation. And the war was not so right. far off between them. But they still have difficulties, the Federation.
0: Yeah, so. exactly. Yes. And that being we can said, overcome I, our differences.
1: Exactly. Ex- that's exactly it. So overcoming these differences and, and you know, it's talking about war for other characters, I have one more Star Trek question. I, I may ask more later, but I just got to know. Um, is there any specific characters that stick out to you then? Like favorite ones that either you, I, as a kid were like, they're awesome. I want to be them. Or even now saying, I want to emulate what they do. Yeah, there's two that come to mind. I mean, there's so
0: many, but like two that really stand out. One is um, Uhura, right? The first African American female in space. So <laughs> we gotta count her. Absolutely. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah has been a phenomenal character. And um Jordy, Jordy, because LeVar Burton, right, even for me at least growing up, and probably for a lot of people, he was the one who taught us how to read, right? Reading Rainbow. Right. And so you you figure the books that he introduced to us, the imagination, the creativity. The fact that we were able to to see him in that role and then see him again, Star Trek and to see him in that role and what he brought to the enterprise, to see him back to the future, right? What we can be. So where we are and where we can be. Um, yeah, Jordy is another one. I mean, Michael Burnham too.
1: That's the problem. The list just Spock. keeps going, right? <laughs>
0: I, I it just, just keeps going. Like yeah, Spock, and- the challenge of the logic, the logic versus the human, right? And the emotional and like, yeah there's a lot but probably
1: those two those two yeah 100 and jordy's one of my i mean i completely agree top three characters for me because not always it shows somebody who has like traditionally as we may see like you know a disability like he's not only able to thrive but educate others and is a brilliant scientist and like you said yeah. he taught us how to read so for both for adults and for children lavar burton really just married both worlds together to make it just incredible <laughs> to educate us um exactly. so what a cool dude and so great examples too i mean honestly hard to top that i i would say like oh, wow. i'm trying to think for myself like characters i've always loved i mean um i've told you and for folks who've seen deep space nine captain cisco if you're familiar with him uh, he's a very stoic and powerful leader but one with such deep empathy for his crew that grows throughout the series um he kind of has that cool idea of like not quite the picard where he is very he knows how to get that logic forward and command the crew but will always pull someone aside that's something that cisco like balances because sometimes he can kind of overstep but he's the most human in many ways for that he's like hold on let, let me let me talk to my crew and talk this through and watching his journey i felt again human and that's one thing that star trek does well it shows you how to be a person so that's very
0: true.
1: But that said, I, I'm going to stop now because you and I could go on for this uh, the entire podcast. I'm thinking we may do a Trek cast at some point. We got other Trekkies Ooh, yeah. here at AFRL and AFOSR that we need to pull in, but yes. <laughs> we'll, we'll put a pin in it for now. So we're going to go ahead and warp speed to the next question. So I know mm-hmm. that we talked about one of your inspirations uh, when you're younger was Star Trek and other sci-fi shows, but what other elements really got you to Who's your love for STEM? Like what made you love not only space, but having posters of space exploration and other scientists? So being an
0: engineer, my love for space, Star Trek, but then also my parents. And then also there was another TV show called A Different World. And there was a character on there, uh, Dwayne Wayne, who was an engineering major. And I would see him do these math problems. And interesting enough, his professor, Dr. Taylor, was a colonel in the army. And so watching him do these math problems and listening to the math that was introduced on the show, and not that it was a math show by any means, but just listening to it, I was like, I can do that. I can do that. And so, so that was one show that really spoke to me. And then others, you know, like Bill Nye, the science guy three, two, one contact, right? PBS. Like There's so many shows as a kid, but then also my parents, my dad having served in the military with his background in cardiopulmonary really, really helped me as a youngster learn about fluid dynamics and airflow and so forth. And then my mom being a nurse and a PhD gerontologist, just her love for people and her love for seeing people um essentially grow old. So <laughs> between the two, they just really, really encouraged me to take part in various STEM activities. So like in high school, I was a part of the junior engineering technical society. I was on the math team, which I was a proud geek. I am a proud geek. I was a cool geek though, because I was also on the track team. There you go. But See that I, I was on the math team. <laughs> so those were some of the things I got into that just really encouraged me and really opened my eyes and introduced me to STEM, but specifically engineering. And then my love for space just grew. My dad got me a telescope when I was a youngster. So I was able to look at the stars. Uh, Being a a product of the military, both my parents having served, being a product of the military, we moved around a lot. So I got exposed to a lot as a youngster, but that's really where the love came from, that telescope, the shows, and just the conversations with my parents and what they showed me.
2: I will say PBS has probably created a, a lot of future AFRL employees for us. I, I didn't know that Bill and I would have such a future role in my life doing science communication, but, you know, he was great at it, you know, getting me as a nine-year-old really excited about science, even if I didn't ultimately go into it as a, a practitioner. But mm-hmm. you did, so you went into a STEM career field, not exactly the realm that your parents were in. You actually um, studied to become a me- mechanical engineer. Can you tell us about your educational journey? Sure.
0: Yes. So um, I mentioned that my mom is a nurse and PhD gerontologist. So initially I thought I was going to do biomedical engineering and then I took biology and that's not my gift. I realized that very quickly. That. Um, <laughs> so uh, I switched actually to aerospace and went through aerospace and it, w- it was fine. I was learning a lot, seeing a lot, um, obviously again with my parents having served, being exposed to various airframes and so forth. So it was fine. But then I went on an internship with DISA. And while there, I was exposed to various technologies. I was exposed to various networks and how we were able to just accomplish and and push the envelope of technology in that particular organization. And so when I came back, I switched my major to mechanical engineering. And also I would say I I really had to look at what was I interested in and what did I really like. And I like tinkering. I like figuring out how do things work. And so knowing that I had that interest and, and that curiosity, mechanical engineering just fit for me. So kind of a roundabout way, but that's what got me to being a mechanical engineer. And I still love tinkering and just figuring out how do things work.
1: I'm curious too. So when it comes to tinkering, um, so what kind of stuff do you used to like do you as a kid, did you used to break apart like bottle kits, like work on cars? Like, was there a specific <laughs> thing you like to uh, connect to? Yes.
0: So when I was a kid, I get, there's two things that I specifically uh, remember. One was my parents bought me a chemistry set. And you know, how, like they have instructions, right? And you're, you're supposed to follow the instructions. No, I put that to the side. I took out everything. And I was like, well, what happens if I mix this with this? And I just started mixing stuff together. And I turned our driveway blue, which is really bad because I'm again, as the military, we were PCSing. And the driveway is now blue and it's not supposed to be. So that was the whole thing. But I have fun. I don't think my parents enjoyed it, but I have fun. (laughs) And then (laughs) my mom, she would help me do just little experiments around the house again, that kind of tinkering, how does it work? And so we were gonna give something to Goodwill or um, if something around the house didn't work, she would let me get in there with her and like, let's figure it out together. Or before we took it to Goodwill, like maybe we didn't take it to Goodwill, maybe we took it apart to figure out how it worked, right? So so just that hands-on, my dad the same way, very much like, hey, you come alongside, let's figure this out together, let's look at it. Both of them always challenging thought making me think beyond the surface. So with both of them, they uh, indulged me with some of my creativity and
2: things that I did as a kid.
1: Honestly, I think Blue Drive was a selling point for me. I don't know if you agree, Michelle.
2: (laughs) I mean, it it would stand out in this market, I think. Yes, I like that. It would stand out. Mm-hmm. yeah it's not really your As kid. they gave you all these you know <laughs> chemistry set you're supposed to see what you can do with it we've had some other guests on the podcast that played with electricity and that had a much worse outcome than just a simple um blue driveway so I don't oh, think yeah. they should be too angry right. good deal. no it's
0: been um I, I can remember having a microscope and getting things that dirt leaves whatever I could find and like trying to look at it right and what is it and what does it do and Um, Then I mentioned the telescope and the stars and so forth. So yeah, we're a big science household.
2: Yeah. Well, and certainly a military household too. So how did you ultimately Mm -hmm. connect to becoming um, an active duty member of the Air Force?
0: Sure. So my dad started off enlisted, became an officer. So served 30 plus years in the military. My mom started Army and switched over to Air Force. And so between both of them having seen their career, seeing where the military can take us, that obviously piqued my curiosity. But then aunts, uncles, cousins, we do have a very service-oriented family. So the military has always been around me. I've always been exposed to it. I've always seen the benefits of it, the fact that you can travel around the world, the fact that you can meet so many different people and then be exposed to so many things uh, just really drew me in. So joining the military wasn't a question for me. That was going to happen. I think staying in the military is really where my challenge was. Was I going to stay in four years, seven years? Was I going to do 20? That sort of thing. Around the seven-year mark, I actually tried to get out, and I say tried, um, because I was looking at going into the reserve. And one of my mentors, he challenged me. He was like, you're going to go into the reserve. Got it. That's what you want to do. That's fine. What are you going to do with the rest of your time? Because the slot that I was going into was the traditional two weeks in the summer and one weekend. And so he was like, what are you going to do the rest of your time? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I'll figure it out. And he was like, well, why don't you just stick around until you figure it out And 20 plus years later, you know, this whole career later, you know, his advice worked. I stuck around. So... (laughs) But that's what got me to the military.
2: Yeah. And you've had some amazing assignments. Can you tell us about stuff? You know, maybe starting with your time at Vandenberg and getting to like launch rockets. I mean, how much cooler does that get for the young girl that used to have space posters on, on her wall growing up? Sure,
0: sure. So I started my career um, at wright Uh So I was in, at the time, it was the Special Operations Forces Program Office. And so I started there, which was tremendous. So working MC-130s, AC-130s. So tremendous opportunity to really have an impact on the war at the time. And so um, being able to work on aircraft that were going forward. So started there and then got accepted into what's called the Space Acquisition Exchange Program. And so then cross-trained to be a space professional and went out to Vandenberg. And as you stated, it was a blast. Being able to launch rockets um, out there was phenomenal. I still can't believe the things that they let me do as a captain. It was just amazing. And so I, I'm very appreciative for that assignment. And then when I left Vandenberg, I went out to our partner in Chantilly and got exposed to so much more out there and really got got deep into that mission um, and enjoyed myself there. When I left there, I went to the Pentagon, congressional liaison. And so that was was an interesting one because, You got to see that relationship between Congress and the Department of Defense and and how do they resolve issues, right? Things that we're trying to push forward for the nation, the laws that they're passing, the things that they're implementing, like that relationship, right? So really getting to see how that relationship works. And then when I left there, I went to the Air Force Academy where I was what's called an Air Operating Commanding. It's an AOC. It is essentially a squadron commander for cadets out there. And so I did that, got to see our future leaders, help them develop and then commission and and come into the Air Force. And so when I left the academy, I went to LA, at the time it was LA Air Force Base, now it's SSC. But I worked military satellite communications out there, had a blast, learned a lot, saw a lot, phenomenal mission that's happening on the space side out there. Uh, When I left LA Air Force Base, now SSC, Um, I was picked up for squadron command out of there. And so I went to be a recruiting squadron commander. And so that brought me back across the country uh, to the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. I also had a little bit of West Virginia and North Carolina. And that gave me a whole new appreciation for how we bring people into the military. It's one thing for me to come in. I was exposed to it. My parents were in. But to take a person who has no military background not exposed to it talk to them about the benefits have that person um, join and to see them thrive and to see how the military can change their lives it's just it's a phenomenal gift that our recruiters have and i'm so appreciative for them and for all that they do uh, for the military and for our nation when i left recruiting i went to another one of those special places and uh, had a blast doing a phenomenal mission over there. And when I left there, I was selected uh, for promotion and ultimately ended up here at AFOSR. And so, um, so far, learning a lot, seeing a lot, being exposed to a lot, having a great time, really appreciate all of the hard work that happens in AFRL and just seeing how we're pushing from research to transitioning our various technologies, just really watching that whole process has been a phenomenal opportunity for me. So I'm really appreciative of it.
2: What a great landing space for you. And, you know, frankly, for AFRL and AFOSR, because AFRL serves both the United States Air Force and the United Mm -hmm. States Space Force under the Department of the Air Force. And um, your prior assignments have been in, in both, both those those houses, you know, if you build both those parts of the Department of the Air Force, and you're coming here because our Air Force Office of Scientific Research, you know, manages basic research funding for both the Air Force and the Space Force. So mm-hmm. perfect for you to have that background. At the top of the podcast, Kenneth um, introduced you as the Deputy Director of the Air Force Office of Scientific Research, but you also have a role as the Detachment 14 Commander. Can you explain what those dual-hatted roles are?
0: Sure, sure. So as the deputy director for the Air Force Office of Scientific Research, we're investing in research at various universities around the globe. We do have offices overseas, so truly around the globe. And we discover, shape, champion, and transition basic research out of those universities. And so so on the deputy director side, my goal is to help our program officers, program managers get out there, get into the universities and do what they need to do to make sure that we discover that science. And so, so that's on that side. On the debt 14 side, I would say it's more the care and feeding of people. So making sure that our staff has what they need. So everything from resources, uh, facilities, the IT security, just making sure that everyone has what they need so that the organization can push forward in its mission. Um, our personnel staff, just again, just the care and feeding of everyone within the organization to make sure that they have what they need so that we can push the mission forward and discover the science.
2: Yeah, I, I know that AFOSR is headquartered um, in Arlington, Virginia, mm-hmm. kind of the national capital region, but you you alluded to it, it's a worldwide organization. So when you look up the clocks on the wall, you might have one for Santiago, Chile, or, or Tokyo or London, they so do. you're really care care and feeding from people across the globe.
0: hmm we do, we do. We, I, I try to make sure that people are connected. I'll say back to the mothership, make sure that people are connected back to us. But yeah, our phenomenal international staff, I can't say enough, like they are phenomenal staff to work around the globe to make sure that we're discovering that science. And it's, and it's really, we look at where does the science take us, right, and so uh, yes, we're international, they're getting out there, they're making sure that universities are funded appropriately to make sure that, again, we go where the science takes us. And so our program officers, both stateside and international, are out there doing that for us on the day-to-day. But then we also have our staff that enables that to make sure that that happens, to make sure that we can transition from the universities to the tech directorates, to the rest of the Air Force um, and Space Force, for that matter. it's an exciting mission, an exciting place to work. and Uh, If you're ever in Arlington, you can come by and visit
1: us. And you know we will, don't worry. And I'm glad we have an idea of how this, like some of this tech transfer and this tech work can really go from basic research to becoming something even greater. Um, But you had a a great phrase I want to circle back to, which is connecting to the mothership. Uh, And you'd mentioned about it with the debt 14 side, at least attachment 14, that you are able to like help with whatever people may need. So I'm curious with people being worldwide in different time zones, um, how do you manage that? And how does that work? Are these one on one meetings? Do you guys have like a boardroom where everyone can call in like just to say like, Hey, this is an issue we're having. Let's fix it. Like, what does that pipeline look like?
0: Yeah. Trying to be accessible to folks um, looks like meetings. Sometimes it is one-on-one. Sometimes it's travel. I'll be with our uh, European office here in a couple of days. So it's meetings, it's travel, it's it's email, it's invitations to various activities, it's conference. I mean, it, it's a myriad of things, but at the bottom line of it all is what do you need and how can I help you and so making sure that we stay connected in that regard so whatever it takes what do you need and how can I help you
1: such a powerful thing, especially from leadership to hear that. Cause some people can feel disconnected from leadership, have to work through it. They feel a middleman or even means to say like, Hey, I wonder if our concerns are being heard. And I mean, the answer is always yes, but you have a direct story. You're to say, yeah, I hear you and I'm here to help. So mm-hmm. uh, that's why I just, when you'd mentioned that connection to the mothership, I thought that was such a cool phrase to be like, yeah, we are truly <laughs> here to support a worldwide operation and you guys are succeeding uh, and showing how cool it could be for other people's looking to emulate that. So I just want to give you guys a huge shout out with how cool that is and to hear from you firsthand, how it works. Um, so that has to be a very like, a privileged part of the job to hear so many different stories and see those success stories play out.
0: Definitely, definitely. We have some phenomenal folks that work in our organization, people who have been there for years. And the organization is designed like that, right? It's the long game. And so uh, hearing the stories and seeing the people, AFOSR has funded scientists who went on to be Nobel laureates. And so when I say the long game, I mean, it is the long game, but to watch people's careers progress and know that you had a hand in that is huge.
1: And that does tie into really interesting, kind of like a nice like point here, like putting like a nice like cap on all of this is you've had such an incredible career, um, touched so many different lives. And again, helped promote so many people. Do you have any advice for new coming, like let's say airmen, guardians, or folks joining the service that are maybe like trying to find their place, like people who want to be biochemists and find out, hey, maybe like biology is not for me. Maybe it's engineering with electricity instead or mechanical engineering. So what advice do you have for these newcomers who just are starting their journey? I would say really
0: look at what do you like to do? What are you interested in? And what are you willing to try? So I'm real big on try it, right? If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, that's fine. But at least you've tried and at least now you know you either liked it or maybe you need to tweak something. Maybe it did pique your curiosity, but let's try it. Um, also know that it's okay to make mistakes. Just learn from them. My dad always, always has impressed on me. What's the lesson? Learn the lesson. So even if you make a mistake, learn the lesson and drive forward. Um, And then I would say, have a plan, but stay flexible. So things may not work out the way you think they will, nor will they work out maybe at the time that you want it to. So have a plan, but stay flexible. So those are the pieces of advice I would give. Probably the only other thing I would say is is make sure you have a community, and what I mean by that is people who are going to support you, people who are going to encourage you, people who will listen to you, challenge you when needed. But have a community, and if you don't have a community per se, like if it's your family, friends, try to find people within maybe it's coworkers or what have you, but people again who are going to support you, encourage you, and push you. I think those things would just help folks discover right? Where they want to be and what they want to do um, and just help them propel forward.
2: Ma'am, great advice. And one other thing we wanted to touch on as, as you've reflected on your journey in the top of the podcast, you talked about those characters from Star Trek that really influenced you. You talked about your parents, you talked about, um, you know, a mentor along the way that told you, Hey, why don't you stay active duty until you know what else you want to do. So you've had these people that have mentored you a lot along the way, but you know, your podcast is going to be shared in the first quarter of the year, a uh, time when we observe things like black history month and women's history month. You're the first female African-American deputy director of a- AFOSR, as well as the detachment 14 commander in AFOSR's history, wrapping that all up together. Are there other people <laughs> in history that have really like influenced you along the way?
0: Absolutely. May Jemison is a big one for me, and and specifically, I'm going to go to the space shuttle Challenger. That particular explosion really interested me or influenced me, mainly because, and and it was a tragic event, but it interested me because I saw how engineers were able to, one, problem solve and then rectify the situation and then propel the space exploration for it. And so that whole industry just really interested me. And like I said, that that particular time and that particular incident just really kind of piqued my curiosity. And then Mae Jemison truly being the first African-American female in space, just listening to her, watching her journey, um, seeing seeing her was huge for me. Interesting enough, two things. uh, She was also influenced by Uhura from Star Trek. And also... I had the opportunity right before COVID to actually see her in person and to hear her speak at a library here in Maryland, and so it was phenomenal just to have that moment and be in that same space with her, and to think about someone who had influenced me from a child, like coming to the military, being able to work space programs, and to now uh, see her in person—just a huge influence—and to see all that she's accomplished and all that she's not, all that she is still doing. Um, it's just a phenomenal, it was, it was wonderful to see her. And so I would say definitely, yeah, Mae Jemison for sure.
1: I mean, that really is inspiring. We featured a lot of things on Mae Jemison herself on our social channels, a lot of her own quotes, and I mean, seeing some of her science talks, I mean, she really is, uh, I mean, she's inspired a generation, still is. Um, mm-hmm. So being in the same room as her, no less, I mean, I can only imagine. There's a lot of folks I wish I could have seen in person. I mean, I've only seen a few heroes, but been like, you know, 100, 200 feet away, but that star, you get starstruck, and it's really neat. Um, So it's really cool that you can share that with a lot of our viewers here, because a lot of them may think like, hey, I wonder who inspired Colonel Jackson. Now they know. So thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you for joining with us today to talk about this. And I'm sure this is the last time we'll meet. So uh, we'll make sure to have more Trek conversations later on. As I mentioned, there's a lot more (laughs) to cover there. Um, But again, we really appreciate your time here talking with us.
0: Thank you for having me. This has been a tremendous uh, time with you, tremendous opportunity. And yes, uh, whenever you have the Star Trek (laughs) podcast, please let me know.
1: (laughs) April Trekkies. I'm going to keep running on different title (laughs) ideas, but trust me, you'll be the first to know.
0: Awesome. (laughs) Thank you again. Thank you.
1: Make sure to follow us on social media at Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and YouTube at AF Research Lab. And remember, stay curious. Logging off.